0: Now, last Lord's Day, we spoke about the appreciation for forgiveness, how our appreciation for forgiveness, for cleansing of sin as a result of our faith in Christ, how our appreciation is demonstrated in the way we live. The more we appreciate our forgiveness, our salvation in Christ, the more committed to him we live. Now another side to that is, the more that we have tasted of the ungodly, immoral lifestyle, the more we tend to be committed to God as well. And we saw that in the story of the woman who came in, the uninvited guests who came in to the dinner, where Jesus was with some Pharisees, and how she used this expensive perfume to anoint his feet. This is not the story of Mary. This is another one where his feet was anointed and where Jesus said that her great love is a, is a manifestation of the realization of how greatly she was cleansed of her sin. Today we want to look at another aspect of appreciation forgiveness and see how forgiveness is to be worked out in a believer's life, a believer's life. And it's very important. At the close of his model prayer for his disciples, Jesus adds an addendum to explain the reason for the request he instructs them to make in their prayer. In other words, he says, this is what you pray. Now, he gives a reason for it. This is the only time he gives a reason in this particular prayer. The request is stated in Matthew chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to please turn to it. If you don't have one, uh, just... Uh, squish up a little closer to somebody who does and read along with us. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts. That's the command. Now, here's the standard. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice, forgive us our debts as. There's a standard here that must be met. The reason for this prayer Or this request is given in verses 14 and 15. This is after the prayer is completed, the model prayer. Notice what it says. For, that's a reason. For, if, that's a condition. Only happens if this is met. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, that's a contrast. Something entirely opposite of what just has stated. But if you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Now notice, there's no middle ground here. There's no compromise here. one or the other. You do this and this will happen. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Notice the text again. And I want you to see the word. Because remember, God has promised to bless his word, not what I say about his word. So look at his word. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, we are actually instructed to pray for our own forgiveness according to our own record of forgiving those who have sinned against us. It's an amazing thing. Read it carefully. It's an amazing thing here. We're actually instructed to pray for our own forgiveness on the basis of how we've forgiven others. In other words, Jesus is saying, when it comes to forgiveness, you cannot expect to get from your heavenly Father what you refuse to give to His earthly children. To make sure that His disciples understands this truth, Jesus reiterates the conditional nature of forgiveness very clearly and precisely. Listen to it again. For if you forgive man their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive man, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Here is the principle. True forgiveness of others, genuine forgiveness of others, is forgiveness that mirrors or reflects our appreciation of God's forgiveness of our sins against him. Principle. True forgiveness of others is forgiveness that mirrors or reflects our appreciation of God's forgiveness of our sins against him. Put more bluntly, if you don't want to forgive others, you do not appreciate your own forgiveness from God. No matter what you say, no matter how you act, no matter how much much money you give, if you refuse to give, you're saying, I do not appreciate God's forgiveness in my own life. This means, therefore, that genuine forgiveness is completely selfless and its motivation and intention is an evidence of our love for God. But not only for God, but also towards others as well. The person's who forgive because that's the pattern of God why does he forgive us because he loves us if we refuse to give forgive we don't love simple as that actually that's the message If the Brian said you can go home now no no don't he do that but that's the message one is based on the other. Ah, and true forgiveness cannot leave out either. We must forgive in order to be forgiven by God. That's why the modern psychological idea that forgiveness is for one's own benefit and well being, first of all, is foreign to biblical teaching. I'll talk more about this in a later time. But here in this prayer, It's model prayer for the disciples. Jesus is referring, and this is important. Jesus is referring to forgiveness within the family. This is family business. He's not talking about requirements for getting into the family of God. We don't have to forgive anyone in order to get saved. There's only faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about family relationships. It has nothing to do with getting saved, but rather with how to live after you are saved. Jesus taught the same truth earlier in Matthew 5 in the context of anger. This is what he says in verse 23. Quote, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, now notice now, you are doing the remembering. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, Go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and worship. First, get right, then worship. You don't worship, and then you get right. See, that's why we allow an opportunity. In fact, we should do this before we do everything else in the morning when we come together, is to give you an opportunity to open your heart, your soul before God So you can ask forgiveness for your sins. So that when we worship, when we sing, we can have that assurance that God is receiving it and is not just going through motion. It's important for us to understand the role of forgiveness when it comes to worship. Principle then. Fellowship with God the Father is dependent upon our ongoing fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And the mutual granting and receiving of forgiveness are essential, ongoing aspects of this relationship. This means, then, practically speaking, right now, if you or I have anything at odds with the brother and sister, and we haven't, gotten, we haven't gotten it right, we could pray, we could fast, we could preach, we could teach, we could worship, we could sing, and God is not receiving it. A waste of time, God's time. This is an important principle here. God don't play church, you know, people. You know that, eh? He doesn't play church. When we come to worship, that's a holy undertaking. Do you realize that we cannot worship until we are aware of the presence of God? And once we become aware of the presence of God, the response is one of worship. The Apostle Paul learned this lesson from Jesus Christ very well and he reflects it in Colossians chapter 3. Notice what he says, beginning at verse 12. Now he's speaking to members of the family of God. So as those who are being chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another, forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone. How? Just as the Lord forgave you so also should you. And beyond all these put on love which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. He's talking about the children of God. To those who place faith in Jesus Christ, he's telling us how to live Christ-like. How many of you would like to be like Jesus Christ? Well, then you've got to do this. You've got to forgive the way he does. You know, it's amazing how many people said they'd be like Christ. And then when they start to learn what being like Christ is, they start to change their mind. Suffering, persecution, forgiveness. All of that has to do with Christ likeness. So Paul has learned the lesson well. Now, this is a high standard. But it is our standard as disciples of Jesus Christ nonetheless, because Jesus Christ only has high standards. He says, unless. Your behavior, your acts, your good works go far above or superior to what the Pharisees are doing. It's useless. What were the Pharisees doing? Praying all the time. Reading all the time. Giving their tithes. They were doing all of those things. But it's only going through the motions. It's doing it from love for God that makes the difference. Let's look at the passage in Colossians how it begins. And so as those who have been chosen of God, set apart and beloved by God. That's our position. Isn't that wonderful? Set apart that's the word for holiness, for saint. Set apart and beloved of God. God has set us apart as special object of his love. Nobody said amen you understand that? Out of all of the millions of people in the world, billions of people, God has set you apart as a special beloved. Kilda, Amen. Thanks. That's wonderful. That's our position. Notice now, put on. This is something we have to do. This is something God is not going to do for us. The Holy Spirit is not going to do it for us. Now, once we show the willingness, he's going to give us the ability, but we've got to make the move first. Put on. Then he goes on to tell us what we ought to do in order to reflect Christ's likeness. These things have to do with what it means to be like Christ. Number one, put on a heart of compassion. Be compassionate towards others. Jesus saw the multitudes coming he looked at them and he saw that they were as sheep without a shepherd. And he's had what? Compassion on them. This is just not feeling sorry for somebody. This is taking on the pain, the difficulty of that person, and making it your own. That's compassion. You experience the pain of the other person. Was experiencing in pain. That's why he says that when it comes to believers, we are to sorrow with those who sorrow, as well as rejoice with those when they rejoice. That's compassion. A heart of compassion. Not just a mind of compassion. Compassion is something that causes you to do something. Not only think something, it causes you to be moved to do something. Kindness, be kind to one another. Humility, be humble towards one another. Gentleness, be gentle towards one another. Patience, be patient with and toward one another. Now, based on these characteristics or virtues, while we are manifesting them, we are to bear up with one another. Put up with one another. you got to have these things sometimes in order to put up with some people. Right, Terrence? Terrence always tells me that. Anyway. But seriously, all of these are Christ-like characteristics. And in order for us to put up with some people, we need these virtues. It would be impossible to do so. Only believers who can do it. But unfortunately, sometimes we act like unbelievers when it comes to these virtues and we don't want to put up with anybody. No, I mean, I can't put up with him, huh? Mm-mm. He's not doing things the way I like it. He's not saying the way I can't put up with that. Every, no, mm, I'm gone. That's not Christ like. That's not Christ like. You say, yeah, but man, I'm only human. All Christians are human. We don't suppose to look. I mean, we, we don't suppose to say, "Look, that's like what you do." We don't suppose to behave like fallen humans. Why? Because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have put on the new man, who is being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Putting up with one another. It's a mutual thing. Forgiving each other. It's mutual. Now he gets a little bit more specific. Notice what the text says now. Notice carefully. Whoever has a complaint against you, Well personal here now. This isn't general, over, this is an overall general forgiveness. This has to do with something specific, with someone who has a problem with you or you have a problem with them. That's what he's talking about. Whoever it is, you've got a problem with. Now think about that. Per- Close your eye. Think about that person. God is talking you to right now in regards to that person. What are you supposed to do? Forgive just as the Lord forgives you. So should you. You know we like to go around these little. What is what is it called, young people? What would what would Jesus do? W. Right. Anybody got those on? We like to go around. Hey. Well, when it comes to that person who irritates you, who's causing you so much trouble, you know what Jesus would do? Forgive. Some people are already tearing it off. How did Jesus forgive us? Compassionately, kindly, humbly, gently, patiently, putting up at all my failures, my foolishness, my frailty. And even when I was at odds with him, he still forgave me. That's how Jesus forgave. That's how we are to forgive others. You say, man, is it possible? Yes, it is. Or we wouldn't have been told to do it. It is possible. He does not give us impossible tasks. Now, he did that under the law. But not now. He doesn't only tell us what to do. He enables us to do it. Notice verse 14. We have the motivation for the kind of forgiveness. That he's talking about here and beyond all these things now you thought that was a lot put on love which is the perfect bond of unity now that phrase beyond all things means most important of all on the top of the list put on love in other words it's love That enables us to manifest these other virtues. It's the umbrella. Of these virtues. Love is the wellspring. The source. The motivation of forgiveness. Love. Love for God. Love for his children. Listen carefully. The measure of your love for God is manifested in the love you demonstrated towards other members of the body of Christ. You could say you love God all you like, but if you hate, meaning you don't care for a brother and sister in Christ, you're deceiving yourself. God, the invisible God, makes himself known to us by the way we love others. When we love others, where God has loved us, we show God. John tells us that. The first result or evidence of genuine forgiveness is unity. Paul says this unity is perfectly bonded together by love. Love which is manifested in the spirit and activity of forgiveness. Another result is peace, ruling or governing or being an empire in our hearts. And another is thankfulness. All of these things flow out the spirit of love that is demonstrated in our willingness—not only willingness, but our actual forgiving of others. Now, who are we to forgive this way? The tax collectors, those who sin against us. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came to provide the basis for forgiveness for those who had sinned against him. But when did or does he forgive us? Specifically. When does he forgive us? He died in order that we might be forgiven. Isn't it true? Is everybody forgiven? No, it's only those who confess that they are sinners basic requirement for becoming a child of God he says, say I'm a sinner that's where you start you might have a need for money to pay your rent or your mortgage you might have a problem in your home but if you only come to Christ because you want more money or because you want a relationship that's not the basis for salvation It's acknowledging and recognizing that you're a sinner and you deserve to be separated from God. He forgives when we confess that we have sinned against Him. Once that confession is made, His forgiveness is immediate and complete. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins after we do a lot of penance. It doesn't say that. Immediately upon forgiveness. He didn't ask us to do penance or to guarantee that we wouldn't sin again. Suppose Jesus Christ's forgiveness of you depended on your not sinning again. You've been in a lot of trouble. But that's how we do it sometimes. I can't forgive him, man. I got to see something happening first. That's not the way Jesus forgave you. He also, gave, he also forgave us willingly. He didn't hesitate. He didn't say he had to think or pray about whether he should forgive you or not. He also forgave us on the basis of the fact that he had already paid the penalty for our sin. The only way he could forgive us was because he died on the cross. That's the basis for forgiveness. The price has to be paid for forgiveness. In other words, vera's forgiveness for the sinner cost the sinner nothing. It cost Jesus his very life. He could forgive me because he paid the debt I owed, not him. He took my debt upon himself, and that's exactly what forgiveness is. Personally absorbing the death or loss owed to me thereby allowing the debtor to be forever free from his obligation did you get that you see that's why forgiveness is so rare nobody wants to pay the price that's why a lot of forgiveness is really not forgiveness at all and we're going to see that as we go see the word forgive has two basic meaning in the new testament to be let go or to let go and to cancel a debt those are the two meanings so when you put it together you have the idea to remit a debt by paying it yourself in other words literally it would be forgiveness means to remit a debt by paying it yourself paying the whole thing yourself Not the person who sinned against you. You don't say, I can pay 50% and you pay 50%. That's not forgiveness. That's not the way Jesus forgave you. He took the whole debt upon himself. It's the only way you could go free. I could go free. Genuine biblical forgiveness always contains the essential element of bearing the penalty Of the offense being forgiven. In other words, if a debtor owes me $5,000 and I forgive that $5,000, do you know who pays it? I do. Now you don't say, well, okay, I'll forgive you, but you know, I want you every week to come give me $50 towards that. That's not forgiveness. I always like to illustrate this truth. I've said it here before, but it is a beautiful illustration, so I'll use it again. A few years after we came here, uh, the person who held the mortgage for our property over there died and his daughter took over. A few months later we received in the mail a package. And they opened it, and it was the mortgage for the for the building over there. But you know what was written right across it in red letters? Forgiven. That's a legal term. Released from all debt. Now, who paid it? The lady who owned it. She released us from that debt by taking it upon herself. That's forgiveness. To forgive then means two things to remit a debt and to pay it. It's the same word for both. Genuine biblical forgiveness always contains the essential element of bearing the penalty of the offense yourself. Always. And so my personal definition of forgiveness, it reflects, I believe, the biblical teaching is this. Forgiveness means to remit a debt by paying it yourself without any idea or demand for repayment in the future in any way whatsoever. In other words, once that debt is paid, you don't talk about it anymore. You don't say, oh yeah, I know, but he owes me some money he ain't paid yet. Uh-uh. None of that. None of that. You don't talk about it. You don't ma- it's paid. It's paid. That's how Christ forgave us. Now he says, that's how we are to forgive others. To be Christ-like. He could only forgive because he paid the penalty for our sin. The forgiver takes upon him or herself the debt owed by the forgivee. And as I mentioned before, I believe that's the major reason why genuine forgiveness is so rare among believers. It costs the forgiver more than it costs the one being forgiven. But is it not a fact That we have an inbuilt conviction that if someone has wronged us then that person has to pay for it in some way don't we have that that's just a built it it, it, just not justice and it isn't you know unless the debt is paid Jesus death on the cross provided forgiveness because of an act of justice Just as it was motivated by love. And so I believe this concept of true forgiveness, the way Jesus forgave, is foreign to most believers today. Let me show you why. Let me give you some characteristics or reasons Why uh, why genuine forgiveness, I believe, is so rare among Christians. First of all, genuine forgiveness is not merely an attitude. It is an act of the will. It's a volitional choice. It is a decision to remove barriers to unity and full acceptance of the one forgiven. It is a choice to obey God even though I don't feel like it deep down in my gut is not something merely to think about but something we actually and objectively do It's a decision to forgive which opens the doorway to a new life of love hope and growth and relationship with the person that we forgive it's not just an attitude some people well you know I have a disposition to forgive that's not forgiveness you got to do it. Genuine forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, people say, I can forgive but not forget. Well, that's fine. If you look at it properly. We actually remember everything that we do. Well, you all, I, I, I don't. I forget. What was I going to say? <laughs> but everything we do is embedded here somewhere. It only takes the right thing, thought, whatever it is, to bring it out again. And so, forgiving and forgetting has to do with our method of retrieval of what we've done. And the two kinds of remembering is what I call emotional recall, emotional remembering. Emotional recall brings back all the pain, all the hurt, all the resentment, all the anger. Whenever I like, talk about this, I get Say, Boy, I forgive, but I forget. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness has to do with the second kind of recall. What we call for a better word, historical recall? This is when we recall a past event as a fact without the emotional baggage. We just think about it for good rather than for evil. This never comes with a negative connotation. The emotional baggage has to be dropped if it's genuine forgiveness. You'll never forget it, but you can forgive. God does not forget our sins. How many of you think God forgets your sins? He just chooses not to remember. He talks of putting them into the deepest sea. As far as the east is the rest. Isn't is he said? Does he? Re- sure, he knows that. It, but he doesn't choose to recall them as something against us. They're removed forever. No more to be charged. And if God. releases us from a charge Who Can ever bring that charge up again? Genuine forgiveness is not pretending that nothing happened Some people are like, oh, yeah, well, you yeah, know, well, they thought, oh, it never happened, but be dumb inside uh, Pretending like it didn't happen at all Genuine forgiveness acknowledges that something happened But then you make a decision that you will not allow that to cause you pain and anger and separation anymore would not cause any hurt or alienation anymore you make a decision on that it happened and I acknowledge it but it's not going to bring any pain and separation that's why forgiveness is not simply excusing a wrong done if it is sin excusing applies to less serious irritations or hurt feelings prejudices and something to one's biases or personal preferences but forgiveness always involves confrontation and confession this is why it's so hard we don't like to confront we don't like to acknowledge we don't like to be accountable we don't simply say I'll just let it go. Oh, yes, it's a sin. I'll just let it go. I forgave. No, that's not forgiveness That's excusing And when it comes to sin unity and peace will not result if we just excuse things It has to be put under the blood Forgiveness is also not simply just pardoning someone for a wrong done People confuse pardoning with forgiveness. What does pardoning do? Pardon releases someone from punishment, but not from the guilt that caused to have a need for that punishment. The prime minister could pardon all the people in the jails right now. That don't remove their guilt. Only forgiveness does because the guilt is taken by someone it's not just pardoning furthermore forgiveness is not the same as accepting or understanding forgiveness is reserved for acts which are not acceptable and not justifiable because they involve sin it's not just I accept it, I understand it I know it's sin but alright that's alright I know you you're just human that's not forgiveness That's why we must always realize that in the final analysis, sin is first and foremost against God. And in fact, he and he alone can actually forgive sin. We actually can't forgive sin, you know. It's only God because it's primarily against him. Now, this is important. Our forgiveness, when done correctly, simply reflects what God has already done. And he's just using us to let the people know that. You understand what I'm saying? it is God who finally releases us we dare not forgive whom God has not forgiven that's why I don't believe there's anything such as unconditional forgiveness we have books written we have preachers I already heard, but it's unconditional forgiveness I can't get it from the scriptures I'm sorry forgiveness is based upon acknowledgement of sin always but then what is genuine forgiveness Genuine forgiveness, first of all, is based on confession of sin. Starts there. Unfortunately, that acknowledgement normally only comes out through confrontation. Now, it doesn't, only always, it doesn't always do that. Because sometimes a person sins and nobody even knows about it. But the Spirit of God gets in his life or her life and brings conviction upon that person. And that person has to go. To confess, but many times confession comes only through confrontation, where a discerning Christian, a loving Christian, confronts another believer and say that action was sinful. But of course, you only do that after you deal with the, your own sin. Otherwise, you'll just be knocking the big plank in your eye a little further. You see, but it always begins with confession. Genuine forgiveness is never again bringing up the past in a negative way against the person forgiven. All debt has been canceled. The person owes you nothing. Now That's hard. Let me give you another personal illustration. When I was pastoring in Racine, something happened between a few of the men and myself. That's right. Sometimes I have problems with these deacons and so on and these pastors. And it was quite serious. But we got together, and we talked, and we forgave one another, three of us. About six months, eight months later on, a fellow came into the office and started to he says, You know, back then when those things, I says, what things are you talking about? He said, you you know, back then, I says, I'm sorry, what things? I don't remember anything. Now, I did, you know. But what was I doing? I was choosing to forget. Why? Because we had dealt with it. It was under the blood. Why should we bring it up again? It was done. It was finished. They owe, they owe me nothing. I owe them nothing. But again, again, Genuine forgiveness is not demanding change before we begin, before we forgive. You know, some form of penance. I'll forgive you, all right, if I see this. Suppose God that did for us. I ain't going to forgive you until I see a complete change of life. You've got to think everything good, you've got to do everything right, and everything else. You think we'll ever be forgiven? Now remember, we're supposed to forgive. Genuine forgiveness is forgiving the way Christ forgave us. And he didn't demand penance. By the way, that's what Protestantism is all about. You saw the Martin Luther film the other day. That's what it's all about. What works through faith in Christ. Jesus forgave us in that fashion, and he is our standard. Genuine forgiveness is not demanding a guarantee that it wouldn't happen again before we forgive. Upon repentance, that is in the context, in this context, acknowledgement of sin and asking of forgiveness, it is to be granted. That's the standard that Jesus Christ himself laid down. Who are we to go beyond his own standard? Why do we think we're more holy or righteous than Jesus? To demand more someone before you forgive them. That's why genuine forgiveness is risk-taking. It may happen again. That same person that you forgive so freely, he or she might do the same thing to you again. It's like standing on a high branch up in a tree. And you have a sore and you walk out on that branch and you give that sore to the person who the last time you were in that situation, saw the log off. But you forgave him. And now, here it is again. You are on the limb and you give him the fall and you give him the sore. Genuine forgiveness is risk-taking person may do it again but that should not be the basis for your forgiving it's risk taking oh yes and people are hurt again and again but still we ought to forgive the way Jesus forgave genuine forgiveness is is an act that repudiates revenge or retaliation it just rejects any idea of revenge or retaliation This is when, where, and how God's gift of inner peace pervades our heart. When we release the one who has sinned against us from all consequences towards us, there's peace that comes to our heart. I don't want to deal with that again. He or she may have to pay for his own sin. Now, by the way, just because we forgive them doesn't mean that there's no consequences. The person we forgive may still have to make consequences personal. It may be government. They might have... Harmed us. They might have stolen from us and been in jail. We forgive them, but they can still stay in jail. They owe society. We gotta pay it. But they don't owe us anything. We're forgiven. We eliminate all thoughts of revenge, of retaliation. God takes care of the justice aspect. We handle the compassion, the kindness and love. But again, genuine, genuine forgiveness does not allow the one forgiven to pay anything at all. Well. I just said that. We accept a debt as our debt. Payback cannot coexist with forgiveness. Remember that. Payback cannot coexist with forgiveness. The one cancels out the other. Now there's a sense in which all sin is sin against God. That's true. Only God can forgive that sin. But on the basis of our experience of that forgiveness, we are, ex- we are to extend it to others who sin against us on behalf of Christ. We cannot accept, however, responsibility for their sin against God. We can accept their responsibility against us, but not against God. That's why when I come in these situations, I said, Okay, everything is fine here between us. But you still got to deal with God. You still have to deal with God. God has already, of course, um, done the forgiveness. He's enabled us to do it. But now he has to deal with that person himself. When we choose to forgive someone else, there's always some sense in which we're accepting responsibility of the consequences of those sins. This is why I say again, forgiveness always has a cost to us who forgive that goes with it. I bear in myself the price of the evil done. That's why it says of Jesus, he who knew no sin, not guilty of sin, was made a sin atonement for us. He bore the penalty of our sin. Now it's important to know, Jesus did not become a sinner. He bore the penalty for us and he was a sin atonement. He didn't become a sinner. Like I saw a preacher, I heard a preacher on the radio, Jesus became, he bore our AIDS. He had AIDS. Jesus bore, he committed adultery. He went all down the line. He says that had to happen if Jesus was going to be the sin bearer. No, that's not true. Jesus Christ did not become a sinner. He became a sin, a penalty, a bearer of the penalty for our sin, not our sins themselves. Genuine forgiveness involves giving up our rights and in some cases, not even defending ourselves. That's what Jesus calls turning the other cheek concept. Self-vindication is not the goal of forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. Genuine forgiveness involves suffering. Christ's example is our example. You go to First Peter chapter 2. The only place in the New Testament where it's clearly stated that Jesus is our example, it has to do with suffering while doing good and forgiving those who persecuted him. The only place he's cited as an example is when we suffer for forgiving those who persecuted us even when we did right. Suffering is involved. That's why number 10, genuine forgiveness is hard. Why? Because it costs. It costs the forgiver more than the one forgiven. Genuine forgiveness changes our thinking. It renews our mind. We think differently about the person forgiven. We think differently about the past. We think differently about the future. It changes us. It causes us to repent. To have a change of mind towards the person who sinned against us. And Ephesians chapter 4 makes it quite clear that genuine forgiveness changes our behavior. We talk differently to that person. We relate them to different. It changes our thinking and it changes our behavior. That's genuine forgiveness. To forgive, then, is to say goodbye forever to the pain of the past and to be rid of its effects in the future. That's what God has done for you. That's what he wants us to do for others. Now, expressing or granting forgiveness is very hard. Why? It's hard because it's Christ-like. And that's hard, being Christ-like, but it's not impossible. Why? Because we have Christ himself to help us. Our ability to forgive is, in actuality, a gift of God's grace to us. God grants it to us so we can manifest His heart toward the one who has wronged us unto Him. we only Christ-like when we forgive others in the way Christ has forgiven us. Now, I'm going to show you a brief clip. This clip has all the animal elements of genuine forgiveness. The need for the blood of Christ to cleanse us, to name, the need for forgiveness, uh, it has to do with a, uh, a situation with a young lady who's taking an occasion in a church service to get back at a young baby who stole a boyfriend and she knew something about him that the other people didn't and so she took the opportunity at church service to share it but it tells us a little bit about forgiveness good morning today we're going to have a few words from mr. Jeremy Evans our hometown boy but before we do that Let's do what we normally do. Open up our services to prayer and to testimony. Please. Lord, your servant Paul warned us in Acts 20, 29 that savage wolves would come in among us and not spare the flock. Protect us now, Lord, from evildoers who pretend to be upright but who instead spread the sin of homosexuality. Cast these evildoers from our presence into outer darkness where they can await your judgment and send with them, Lord, those who profit from the victims of abortion. Rhonda. Abortion is the worst sin facing our nation today, and the blood of those innocent children, like those murdered in the days of Herod, cries out for your vengeance and your fierce judgment. Yes. Yes, Lord. Abortion is a great sin. And it not only affects innocent children, but adults as well. I should know. I don't think anyone ever sets out No, I didn't, but I rebelled against God in college, and Jeremy, I'm so sorry, but I ended up pregnant with a boy I barely knew, and instead of coming home and facing you, my brother, my parents, I did a terrible thing. I took an innocent life. Sherry, you think you're the only one who's sinned? We've all sinned. Me more than most. I gave into my flesh so often I couldn't stand myself anymore. But if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, as believers, the granting of forgiveness to those who have sinned against us is the basis for our being forgiven by God. And being forgiven by God is the basis for our ongoing fellowship with Him. And our ongoing fellowship with Him is the basis for our worship and our service being accepted by Him. Paul says then in Colossians chapter 3, And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Be Christ-like. Forgive the way he forgave. Bow on a word of prayer, please. Father, we pray and we thank you for your word today. Speak to us individually and personally in this area of forgiveness. May we be Christ-like in this area. And if anyone here, our Father, who has not yet accepted Christ as Savior, not been cleansed by the blood through confession of sin, we pray that they might do that today so that they too might know what it means to be forgiven of their sin.